see some people nodding their heads. What about ribeyes? Okay, I see <laughs> hands are going up for both, right? right? What about like the tomahawk chop? Anybody like that one? Well, my personal favorite is filet mignon. And the reason for that is there's actually a book in the Bible about filet mignon. It's a little hidden book in the New Testament. And actually, to be honest with you, it's actually the book of Philemon, or otherwise known as filet mignon, being a way to remember where that book is. What I want to do with you this morning is I want to talk to you about this book. It's a small book in the New Testament right at the end of the pastoral epistles before the book of Hebrews. And oftentimes, as you're traveling through scriptures, uh, you could miss it. Yet this book is rich in its content. It's a book that helps us understand a very important principle. And what I want to do there is, is I want to start off this morning by asking you a question that I think will drive deep into some of your hearts, if not all of your hearts. And that is this. How many of you have been wronged by someone? How many of you have been deeply hurt by someone? How many of you are still struggling with that hurt? or that pain? How many of you are wanting to be free from that hurt or that pain? This morning, we're going to take a look at the book of Philemon, and my prayer in this is, is as we discover the content of the book, we're going to recognize the power of the gospel, the good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to bring about not only freedom for us, but freedom to the individual who may have wronged us. And it's a powerful passage because what we're going to see as we travel through this book is essentially the reality of what's going on. So the reality of the temporal setting. But then we're also going to discover the theological overtones to the power of the gospel in our own lives. And in that, as the two mesh together, we're going to discover the reality of who we are in Christ but also the reality of the power of the gospel to bring reconciliation to someone who may have wronged us. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to take a moment. We're going to turn to this book, and I'm going to read the contents. Now, as we do, I want to set the stage. This story takes place almost 2,000 years ago. It was written in and around, most likely, A.D. 62, when Paul sort of the main writer of many of the passages of the New Testament, the epistles, was imprisoned. Now, ironically, what we're going to discover is through the sovereignty of God, now a lot of people would think that it was coincidental, Paul gets in contact or comes to know an individual by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus is an individual who has run away from his slave owner Philemon, hence the title of the book. Now the two of those enter into a relationship, and what's going to be important to note is this, that because Onesimus has run away from Philemon, he has wronged Philemon because he is the slave owner. And in that culture, during that time, for Onesimus to return to Philemon, Philemon has the ability to have him put to death for having left him and robbed him of ownership as well as his profitability. So Onesimus is sitting there, comes to know Paul, 
who Paul knows Philemon. Coincidence or providence? Interestingly enough, Paul speaks to Onesimus. Onesimus becomes a brother in Christ. Paul knows that Philemon is a brother in Christ, and they're, I'm sure, at some point talking, and Onesimus is saying, you know, I've wronged Philemon, but I don't know if I can go back, because if I go back, I might be killed. I might have to go to be put to death, because I ran away, and I robbed Philemon. So Philemon is the one who has been wronged. Philemon, by law, has the right to put Onesimus to death. Paul engages and writes a letter to his brother in Christ, Philemon, pleading for his brother in Christ, Onesimus. By the way, whose name means one of profitability. Let's take a look at the story. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier in the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of the saints. I pray that you may be active in your sharing of your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my own son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was, interesting, useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated uh, from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand and I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, 
Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Damas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This book is a small book. It's tucked inside the New Testament. Oftentimes it's missed by many, but it is so rich in its content. It is such a beautiful story because what's going on here is the gospel is being not only presented, but the gospel is being lived out as it should be. We see a reality going on, but we also see the theological overtones impacting the life of Paul engaging the life of Philemon and restoring the life of Onesimus. But not only is it restoring that life, it is giving the opportunity for reconciliation beyond every possible fathomable means to where Onesimus can return potentially back to Philemon and not be killed because he has run away or left but be restored to Philemon, no longer as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. Does that sound familiar to any of us? Do we hear the theological overtones ringing in our own lives? Because friends, what we need to remember and recognize too in this is that we once were slaves to sin. We once were indebted to God. Because we were separated from God, we deserved what? Death. Yet when we come to Christ, when we place our faith and trust in Him, even though we were once slaves to sin, we now have become free. And in a moment we're going to see that not only are we free from slavery, but we come to the fact that we've become siblings of the king. There is so much in this rich book, not only about our own lives and the joy that we have in Jesus Christ, but also the power of the gospel when we really see it in our own lives to enable us to forgive someone in the Lord who may have done us wrong. And that is where this story has such a profound and powerful impact. The first things that I'd like you to see particularly is this, in verses 1 through 7, and it's the idea or the principle of this. Because of the gospel, we can appeal to the individual based on that love. Now let me explain this. What is the love? Well, the love is the gospel. It is the fact that Christ, our Savior, was willing to come to this earth to live and die on the cross so that we might have life through his sacrifice. He's done so so that anyone can have eternal life through him when they place their faith and trust in Jesus. We need to remember, as the scripture, as the gospel, essentially the Bible, tells us, that apart from God, we are essentially slaves to sin. And because we are slaves to sin, the penalty of which we are due is death. Yet, Christ has come and died on the cross, risen from the grave, to essentially take the payment or the indebtedness that we have to place it upon himself so that we no longer have a debt to God, 
but through Christ become debt-free or freed from that debt so that we might have eternal life. So the story has theological overtones to the good news of the gospel, but the story also plays out in the reality of the gospel, having been forgiven by Christ. We look and we start off in these verses And first and foremost, I love what Paul does. He starts off, and and, and don't miss this, Paul, okay, notice the language, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's utilizing the language of slavery to actually identify his freedom in Christ. I once was a slave to sin, now I am free from it. But because I'm free from it, I want to be a prisoner of Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful language? Isn't it a wonderful way how he utilizes that language to identify the reality of what has happened in the gospel? And then he continues on and obviously addresses those that are there. And he starts off with grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that I want to show you, friends, is this, that oftentimes in a challenging situation, when you are appealing for reconciliation, even though you might have the authority just to say, do this because I am the one in charge, right? Doesn't it go a lot better when you actually appeal to someone on the basis of love, grace, and mercy? Rather than being someone who is authoritarian and just saying, do this because I'm the one who's in charge. Isn't it better that you go to the person and say, because of the love of the gospel, because of grace and peace, the first thing I want to extend to you is the grace and peace and the mercy of the gospel. My dear friend, my brother or sister in Christ who has been wronged. You get a heck of a lot further that way than you do with just ordering someone to do something because they immediately become defensive. What Paul is doing here, for lack of a better word, if you really want to realize it, is he is diffusing the situation, or if we want to use some slang, he's kind of buttering up Philemon. But what it does is it engages and diffuses Philemon from immediately just dismissing the following content that is there. We continue on and he says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. That's important. I think that's strategic. I don't think it's there just as kind of a quasi sort of statement. I think it's there through the reality. He's saying, look, I care for you. I know that you've been wronged. I know that by being wronged, you have the right to be angry, but I want you to know that I'm thanking God for you because I pray for you and I care for you. Can I ask a a quick question? Has anybody ever been in a situation where someone is upset, where someone might be mad at you because you've wronged them, or they might be in a situation where they're not necessarily mad at you, but they're mad at somebody else, and you're the mediator there? And you just go and you say, hey, you know what? I want you to know that through this whole process, I'm praying for you. What does that do? Does it escalate the confrontation? No, it de-escalates the confrontation. 
So sort of a, a side note here, friends. When there is a confrontation, one of the things that I would encourage you to do, particularly if there's sort of tension between a brother or sister in Christ or someone that maybe you've been wronged for, is pray for them. And if you have the opportunity in a heart of the gospel, just let them know that you're praying for them. You don't have to say anything. Just, I'm just, just want you to know that I'm praying for you. Not, I'm praying for you. Like, I'm just, I'm praying for you. That has such a power of diffusing difference, difficulty, division, disruption. And then he continues on and he says, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. It is so interesting to see that in this situation, it's a trifecta where three individuals, three individuals, Saul, who used to be the biggest enemy to the gospel, has come to Christ and now is Paul. And through the grace and mercy of Jesus is imprisoned and now pleading to Philemon, whom he, Paul, has brought to Christ at the church of which he's writing. Philemon, once a slave owner, dead to his sin, is now freed in Christ, a brother in the Lord. And then Onesimus, the one who has wronged Philemon by leaving him and robbing him of his profitability, hence the name Onesimus, the profitable one, has the opportunity to tell Onesimus, you know what, I don't care. Roman law says that you are due for death and that is what is just. But the gospel overcomes the law of the land through the plea that Paul is giving because Onesimus has come to meet Paul. And through the relationship, Paul, via the gospel, has presented the gospel to Onesimus and Onesimus has now given his life to Jesus Christ. And so now you have three brothers in the Lord who have all been saved by grace through faith through the death and resurrection of our Savior Jesus. And that is the undertone that is reaching out to bring about the restorative aspect of this conflict. He continues, and he says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of everything we have in Christ. Don't miss that statement. I pray that you will be active in your faith so that you will have a good understanding of everything that we have in Christ. Sometimes being active in our faith is through challenging circumstances like the one that Paul and Onesimus and Philemon find themselves in. But through this, in being active in their faith, they are going to have an amazing understanding of the gospel because they are going to recognize that they all once were indebted and they've all been set free by Christ. And therefore, because they've been set, by free, been free, uh, been set free by Christ, they can release the indebtedness of Onesimus and set him free to be restored to Philemon and Paul, not only as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother in Christ. 
we continue on, and it says, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Friends, one of the things that I want to show you in this is we all must remember and recognize that every single one of us here, every single one of us here, is indebted to God because of our sin. None of us are free on our own. And yet we sit here this morning in freedom because of the one who paid the ultimate sacrifice, our Savior Jesus Christ. He is the one that saves us from slavery and brings us to freedom in Christ. Jerry Bridges says this. He says, God did not wait for a change of heart on our part. He made the first move. Indeed, he did more than that. He did all that was necessary to secure our reconciliation, including our change of heart. Friends, when we are reconciled, when we are brought to Jesus, when we realize that we are sinners in need of a Savior, when we recognize that we cannot get to God on our own, but we realize and understand the power of what Christ has done, and that we are free in Jesus, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are now part of the kingdom of God as brothers and sisters in his kingdom. That changes our hearts. It changes our trajectory. It changes our lives. Even though he is the one offended by our sin, he is the one who makes amends to himself through the death of Christ. Friends, God has every reason being holy and pure and righteous and just to have nothing to do with our unholiness, our injustice, and our wicked ways. Yet, on the basis of a great love, he makes the first move. And that move is the giving of his son, Jesus Christ, holy and pure and righteous and innocent and guiltless to become unrighteous, unjust, guilty, penalized, and die on a cross so that we might be free. That changes hearts. That brings about reconciliation. That changes the attitude. And that's the foundation from what we start. Friends, when we've been wronged by someone, how can the gospel bring about a heart of second reconciliation? The first aspect of this is because of the gospel, because of what God has done, because of how Christ has freed us, we can go to that individual on the basis of love. The basis of love, please hear me now, this isn't just love as the modern equivalent is, this is the love of Jesus, the agape love that we experience when we have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, the unconditional, irrevocable, undeniable love displayed by God in our lives. We continue on and we see in these next couple of verses, Paul then turns and he pleads to Onesimus, or sorry, for Onesimus, 
to Philemon. And he says, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. He's acknowledging it. He said, I, I could tell you do this, right? But he says, no, I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of the agape love of God, trusting and knowing that God has changed your heart. God has changed my heart. And God has changed the heart of Onesimus. And I'm going to trust that God will do great things as only he can do. He then continues on. He says, I then as Paul, an old man, now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Now, please hear me. This is not biological. Okay? By blood, there is no relation. So why is Paul using the language of son? Don't miss this because it is so important for all of us to understand our relationship when we become a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. Who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you. Wait a minute. He, he was my slave. His very name, Onesimus, means he was profitable to me. What do you mean he was useless to me? There's been a transformation because it's no longer the temporal. It's about the kingdom work that both Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus have come to discover. Now he's useful to you because he's a brother in the Lord and he will be profitable to you, not for your own profitability, but for the kingdom of God. But now he has become useful. See that transition? To both you and me. Yes, not as a slave, but as a free man and a brother in Christ. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked for you to keep him, or I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor, any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated few from a little while was that you might have him back for good. Coincidence? Or Providence? random happening of the sovereignty of God. Perhaps the reason he was separated of you from a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and a brother in the Lord. Friends, one of the things that we need to remember and recognize as we look and we realize the power of the gospel and its ability to reconcile individuals who have wronged us back to one another is not only can we, because of the gospel, appeal to the individual on the basis of the love of Christ through the gospel through the good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we, all of us, have been freed from slave to sibling. And don't miss this. 
Because first and foremost, what you have to recognize is the fact that all of us have been slaves to sins, right? In Onesimus' case, in the reality that was going on, he was a slave. We know by law that if he was to return to Philemon, Philemon could have him put to death. Or, better yet, okay, we're not going to put you to death, but you're going to return as a slave. And I'm going to grind you, and I'm going to use you because you have abused your privileges. So that's fine. You can live, but you're still my slave. Friends, sometimes that's very similar to how we feel about God in the church. But the reality of the gospel is this. Not only am I going to free you from being a slave, so now you're free. But I'm going to go beyond that. I'm not going to just set you free just to randomly roam the world and not care about you. But I'm going to free you from slavery. But then I'm going to take you as my own. And you are going to become a sibling in the royal family. A dear brother or a dear sister of the king. Friends, that's what God has done for us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. And so one of the things to remember and recognize is this, that as we were once slaves to sin, and the punishment that we deserved was death, similar to this real story that was going on with Philemon, Paul, and Onesimus. Not only has he had the opportunity to be freed from slavery, but it goes beyond it, and it says, no, not only is he free, but he's a dear brother in the Lord. He is my very flesh. Theologically speaking, that's the power of the gospel. Friends, when a brother or sister in Christ comes to Jesus and is united in Christ, we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. We are part of the royal family and we worship the King of kings, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who is glorious. And because we have been forgiven, because we have received mercy and grace, we can extend mercy and grace to those who might have wronged us. That's the power of the gospel. We continue, and you say, well, I don't know if that's true. Friends, one of the things that I want to encourage you in is Jesus himself says these very words in John 8, verses 34 through 36. Jesus is speaking, and he replies, and he says, I tell you the truth Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Does that sound familiar to the story that we're presenting? Does that sound familiar to the message of the gospel of which we're speaking? Now a slave has no permanent place in the family. If you're a slave, you have no place in the family, and it's certainly not permanent. But a son... belongs to it forever. So, if the Son, capital S, sets you free, 
you will be free indeed. Friends, this story is such a beautiful passage. It is a small part of Scripture, but it just illuminates the reality of the gospel in our lives and the practicality and the power of the gospel when we fully realize it to bring about beautiful restoration and reconciliation when we embrace the forgiveness that we have received and extend it out to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ even when we have been wronged. And then it gets even even more powerful. It brings tears to my eyes. Not only after having been wronged by someone can the gospel bring about a heart of reconciliation. We see this because of the gospel. We're able to appeal to an individual on the basis of the love of God, the agape love, but also knowing that through the gospel, we ourselves have been freed from slave to sibling. So therefore, if we're speaking to a brother and sister in Christ, they have been freed from slave to sibling. We're speaking to a brother or sister, not to an enemy, not to someone who is not part of the family, but a brother or sister in Christ. But then also this, In the next part of this passage, we're going to see that the gospel frees us from debt. It frees us from debt. And therefore, may we free those whom are indebted to us. Paul continues in verse uh, 17, he says, So if you consider me a partner, I love this, he not once goes in and demands it. He appeals to Philemon on the basis of love and the power of the gospel, trusting and knowing that God has transformed his life, God has transformed Philemon's life, and the gospel will bring about the reconciliatory process that is needed. He says, then, will you welcome him as you would welcome me? Notice the placement. Would you welcome him as you would welcome me? Why? Because I'm a dear brother in the Lord. Paul saying, and Onesimus is now a dear brother in the Lord. And you, Philemon, are a dear brother in the Lord. And we, the trifecta, are part of the family of the king. If he has done you any wrong, if he's done you any wrong, if he's hurt you, then charge it to me. If he owes you anything, charge it to me. Paul gets the gospel. Does this sound familiar, friends? If he has done any wrong, I'll put myself in here too, because trust me, I'm not holy. If he has done you any wrong, Jesus says, charge it to me. Hence, the great theological term, Christ atones 
for our sins. We owe God a great debt. We cannot pay that debt back. We are dead in our sin because of what we all have chosen to done through the seed of Adam. Yet, God comes and says, I want to pay that debt. And I'm going to pay that debt through my son, Jesus Christ, to where I can stand and say, if he's done anything wrong, charge it to me. Put it on my account. I'll take care of that so that they, we, might be free. But not only free, it continues on, and it says this. I do wish, dear brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. God, I cannot tell you. I cannot count the ways have you've done even more than I've asked in my life. Friends, look at your life. Look at what God has done for you. Not only setting you free from the penalty of sin and death, but how he has blessed you. And I'm not talking about material. God is not concerned about material. That's just kind of the icing or the cherry on the sundae. But how he has blessed you in being part of the family of God, part of the kingdom, knowing that your inheritance is secure, knowing that whatever goes on in this world, in the end, you are destined for the glorious kingdom, not as a slave, not as an outsider, not as an outcast, not as an individual who doesn't know the king, but someone who knows the king, but not only someone who knows the king, who is a brother or sister in the family of God and loved by the father as a father loves a son or a daughter unconditionally irrevocably undeniably all because of what has been paid on that cross that's the gospel and Paul gets that and he says look Philemon I know that you are owed a great debt and because of that, because of my love for Onesimus, because he's a son of the gospel, he is my son who has come to know Jesus Christ. If there's any wrong, if there's anything that needs to be done, if there's any reconciliatory aspect that he owes you, charge it to me. What a powerful statement not only about the theology of what we have in Christ, but how the gospel has impacted Paul's life so much that he is willing to incur the debt of Onesimus that is owed to Philemon. What a powerful manner, friends, if in our lives, when we've been wronged by someone who's a fellow brother or sister in Christ, we can go to them and say, you're forgiven. Because oftentimes, friends, the one who actually is the slave is the one who cannot forgive. Friends, I'm not saying it's easy. Trust me, I've been through a lot of hurt and pain in my life. I've also been through a lot of joy and blessing in my life. 
But what I've come to discover through the power of the gospel is the more that I hold on to that anger, that pain, that bitterness, that revenge, that whatever it is, the more I become a slave to it. And the more that I embrace Jesus and my freedom in Christ and recognize what Christ has done for me, it enables me to then realize how free I am in Jesus and how once indebted I was to then go and say, God, forgive that other individual. I'm not saying you gotta be best partners and bowling buddies, but there is such great freedom in the power of the reconciliation of the gospel through Jesus Christ. Friends, the gospel frees us from debt, and therefore may we, free, may we free those who are indebted to us. He then continues on, and he kind of concludes this, this uh, letter. He says, and one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in an answer to your prayers. I know that you too, Philemon, as I've told you I'm praying for you, you are praying for me. It's an amazing aspect when individuals can go to one another, even though maybe when they've been wronged or when there is a conflict and they can say that they're praying for one another, that diffuses the whole situation. And then he continues on with his concluding statements, hard names to pronounce. Ephraphus, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Damas, and Luke, my fellow workers. And don't miss this, because oftentimes, you know, when we're reading through scriptures, it's kind of like, hey, let's hurry up and let's move on. Okay, let's conclude. But he concludes with the key to all of this. The grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. We cannot earn our salvation we owe God a great debt, yet that great debt has been paid in full by Jesus. We have been removed from being slaves to sin to free in Christ. But not only free in Christ, we have been moved to brothers and sisters in the Lord, siblings of the King, inheriting the kingdom. And therefore, may the grace be with us in our spirit as we go about our lives and the process that we have in reconciling ourselves to someone who may have wronged us. Friends, the other thing, too, that I think is important is this. Oftentimes, what we might do is we might use this freedom as an opportunity to utilize our flesh to gain revenge. Well, because I'm in Christ, I'm better. Or because I know Jesus more than you, I'm better. So therefore, I'm going to get back at you. But Galatians 5, 13 through 14 says this. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through Love. Now, the love of the gospel, the agape love, unconditional, irrevocable, undeniable love of Christ displayed for us through what Jesus has done. Serve one another. But the law, 
The law says I, Philemon, can have Onesimus put to death. It's written in Roman law. I am justified in doing this. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, do not use your freedom as an opportunity to get back at someone. Use your freedom as an opportunity to reconcile, to display the power of the gospel, to display the power of reconciliation, to display what God has done in your life and in that individual's life. And that is where the church sings. That is what separates us from the world. Where the world says, get even, Christ says, love your neighbor as yourself. Where the world says, why not? Jesus says, forgive as you have been forgiven. Friends, after having been wronged by someone, I get that it's hard. It is a continual process sometimes. But as we look to the gospel, we recognize and realize the strength that it has to bring about a heart of reconciliation. That word reconciliation is quite large. It doesn't necessarily mean that you guys then become best friends and that you're bowling buddies. But what it does mean is, is that you no longer are bitter enemies because you and that individual are a brother or sister or brother or brother or sister or sister in Christ who, guess what, whether you like it or not, are going to spend eternity in heaven with one another in God's kingdom. So you better get used to it now. Friends, we can be free. We can recognize that because of the gospel, we can appeal to the individual who might have hurt us on the basis of love. We realize that through the gospel, we and they have been freed from slave to sibling. And we realize, too, that the gospel frees us from debt. A debt, a great debt that we owe. Therefore, may we free that individual from the debt that we believe they owe us. Take-home truth, kind of summative in all of this is this. Because the gospel reconciles us back to God and transforms us from slave to sibling, its power can bring about a heart that is willing to free those whom are indebted to us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning. We just thank you for you. We thank you for the power of the gospel. We thank you for this story of filet mignon, which makes us hungry for the gospel. Father, Philemon is a beautiful story about the transformative power of the gospel in Paul, Onesimus, and Philemon's life. Father, it is a reminder of what we have in Christ, how we've been forgiven. But it's also a powerful reminder that in that forgiveness, our charge is to go and forgive others. Lord, we know 
that the gospel has the power to do this. And so, Father, may we be willing to allow, as Paul does, for the gospel to do it. Father, may we appeal to individuals on the basis of love. May we appeal to individuals recognizing indeed that we once too were indebted, and therefore may that encourage our hearts to forgive the indebtedness that we might feel that they have toward us. Father, thank you for the freedom that we have, not only in you, but also being freed from that hurt and that pain when we look to you and your power and ability to do so. Father, may we no longer be slaves to sin, but we may also no longer be slaves to whatever might hurt us. And may we be free, but may we recognize that that freedom comes by us going to you and realizing how we've been freed through Jesus. And therefore, because we've been freed through Jesus, may we then have a heart to free others from whatever we perceive they might owe us. And Lord, may we release it into the care of your hand and truly be free. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus. And we ask it all by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And God's people say, Amen. Amen.